Good morning, church. Would you pray with me? Father God, Lord, we thank you just for the opportunity that we do have, just as Pastor David mentioned. While this is not um, our preference to meet virtually, Lord, right now, it's, um, it's what we're working with. And so I pray that you would um, still use your word um, to speak to your people, um, that you would use this word this morning to shape our lives and our hearts, Lord, that you would use it to convict us of sin and respond appropriately to it as we see it in our life, Lord. Lord, I pray you would use your word this morning to build your church, even as we are scattered across um, this community, maybe even um, this nation right now, Lord, this world, Lord, I pray that you would use your word as it goes out, Father, um, to do what it does best, Lord, to build your church. So right now I ask that you would speak through me, that you would take these words um, in Romans chapter 8, which we know to be eternal and true, Lord, and we ask simply that you would write them on our very hearts. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, one night a couple of years ago, I got a phone call from a friend. It was a friend who needed to talk. I could tell by uh, just the tone of his voice that he was desperate and he needed, um, he needed to meet. And so uh, we met late that night at Village Inn over a cup of coffee. This friend was a new believer. He was new in the faith. Um, he, he was a man who had lived several decades addicted to drugs, un, unhealthy relationships, and his conversion was radical, it was powerful, and it was beautiful. Brothers and sisters, if you're listening this morning, I want you to just to think for a moment of your conversion. When you came to Christ and how you did so with joy and with wonder, the reality that your sins could be forgiven, had been forgiven, the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross and, and the truth that, that as you are united with him in his death, so you are united with him in his life. How this gives you new life. How utterly amazing and beautiful this reality seemed to you when it first came to you. Glorious. The idea of, of salvation is an amazing and beautiful thing. But that night as I sat across from my friend, as, as amazing as his conversion story was, it was not the topic of our conversation that evening. Instead, I sat and I listened as he shared with pain in his voice and tears in his eyes. See, after having walked with the Lord for just a few years, he found himself plagued by the same temptations. The sins of his former life were constantly, daily calling him back. And no matter how hard he tried, he faced this temptation daily. In a sense of desperation, he reached out for help. And his question to me that night was simple. How do I do this? Having fallen several times to temptation, his question was, perhaps maybe, a question that many of you are asking right now as you consider sin's presence in your life. How do I go on? I'm sure there's many of us this morning who can relate. If you have walked with the Lord for even just a, a brief amount of time, you will know that there is an inner 
conflict that every single one of us face in life. Yes, as we consider this, this topic of sanctification that we've been walking through this summer, as we, as we consider sanctification, we know, yes, Christ dwells in us. And it is the basis for our sanctification, our growing in godliness. But sin still remains in us as well. So the question, as we just kind of start our faith journey, that we have to ask ourselves is, how do we deal with it? How do we respond to sin's presence in our life? It's constant calling and beckoning us back. Well, Romans 8.13 comes to us this morning with one simple but incredibly urgent and important message. And it's this. Kill sin. And those who kill sin live. Face the promise of life. So in Romans 8.13, what we have essentially is a define the relationship sort of verse between the believer and sin. The Christian and sin. Two things I want to show you just real quick this morning. First is that as we, we respond to sin's presence in our life, we do so by engaging it in warfare. And the first thing I want you to see is that this war, this battle, is a battle that is absolutely worth fighting. Pastor Steve read for us the verses that preceded verse 13 in Romans 8. And really when you consider these verses... Romans 8, 1 through 11, it is all the focus is entirely on what God has done. It tells us that God loves to give himself away. His heart is absolutely exploding with love for the undeserving, for you and for me. And God gives us, as he gives himself away, he gives us his very best. He does not hold back one ounce. And the more honest we are with ourselves... And what we do deserve, the more glorious and wondrous this forgiving and life-giving God is. We get God. God gives to us the greatest gifts that we could ever receive. We see these in chapter 8. Namely, first, his son. Jesus, who comes to us, becomes like us, and dies for us. He gives Jesus to us so that we can be free and live in that freedom one day, one step after another. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God freely gives his most precious son to us. It's amazing. But he doesn't stop there. He also gives us his spirit. This God, this one who you long for, has put his very presence within you. This is amazing. This is amazing. The same spirit we just read that raises Jesus, that rose Jesus from the dead, now lives in you and me. When you are in Christ, God's spirit, we are told, indwells us, lives inside us, makes his home in us. 
keeping us close to the Father. Folks, if you are in Christ this morning, you could not be more blessed or better resourced or given even a higher calling in all of life. The dwelling place for the very Spirit of God. We are rich. We are rich. This is what God has done. He has drawn near to us, made his home with us, given us a new name and called us to an eternal destiny and a future glory that makes everything else in this world look like filth. Blessing us through his son, through his spirit, God produces in each one of us, this is amazing, an entirely new life. We get new desires, new passions, and new vision, and we live our lives in an entirely new way. So our entire lives as Christians are built on this new reality, this new calling, a work that is entirely the work of God. Yet each one of us faces a problem. And we see the problem here in verse 13. I'll just read it for us. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Every single one of us, if we are in Christ, we are still facing daily a reminder of our former self. In verse 13, referred to as the flesh. The closest thing to a sort of a, a biblical understanding of this word flesh we see actually in verses 7 and 8 of Romans 8. And again, you will be helped greatly this morning if you have your Bible in front of you and open. Um, or on your phone some way that you can flip back and forth. Romans 8, 7 and 8. The mind that is set on the flesh, there we see it again, is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The flesh, essentially, is the old me. The one who used to rebel against God. Want nothing to do with God. In my flesh, I was hostile. I was insubordinate. I was consumed with myself. And this flesh continues to plague me. If you were to read Romans 7, you would see Paul as he wrestles by the desire, with the desires that he has in his flesh over and over again. How are we to respond? In our new environment marked by God's restless, relentless love, how do we deal with the deep, dark desires that still nag at us? make demands of us and just won't leave us alone. Well, Romans 8.13 tells us exactly what we should do with those desires. And not just that, it also says that this, knowing how to respond to your flesh, is a matter, is a, is a difference between life and death. There's no middle ground. This is a call to decide. When the Holy Spirit moves into our lives, we start making up our minds what stays and what goes. 
Who are we and what will we become? The Christian life is not just about adding a little bit of Jesus on top of an unexamined life. It is not a sprinkling of Jesus on top of your existing morality. It is daily war against our natural self. Luckily, Romans 8.13 says, not just is this a fight, not have you just stepped into a battle, but you have been well resourced to wage war against your flesh. So this is a fight that we all engage in, that we have to engage in because, well, frankly, the gospel has called us to it and God is worth the fight. If we think about what we get, how the gospel has made us a people and how richly, how blessed we are, how God has blessed us by giving us his son and his spirit. This is a battle that we must engage in. So the question is for most of us, if you're listening this morning, if you are in Christ, the question for most of us then becomes not just if we fight, but how. How do we fight this battle, this important, this urgent, this significant battle? This is such a critical question. I cannot think of any more practical discussion for us to have this morning. How do we fight? How do we wage war against our flesh? Well, there's clarity throughout the scriptures as we search it. This morning, I want to give you just three practical things you can do to fight, to engage in this battle for your life. The first one is this. Trust the word of God. How do we wage war against the deeds of the flesh, against that aspect of our former self that continues to rear its ugly head and won't leave us alone? We trust the word of God. We trust the word of God. If you go to your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 6, you will see that this is a, a famous passage where we are called to put on the entire armor of God as we engage in a battle that every one of us faces. Specifically, I want to draw your attention to verses 16 through 17. Ephesians 6, 16 through 17, it says this. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We are, as Christians, to put on the entire, the whole armor of God as we battle. Put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, where our feet are to be equipped with the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the peace that comes with that. The only weapon that the Spirit has, that God gives us, that kills, the only offensive weapon that we get is, it says right there in verse 17, the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. So how do you put the deeds of the flesh, how do you kill, how do you put them to death? You do so with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
If you also look in Galatians chapter 3 verse 5, it, it, the question then becomes, okay, so we have God's word. What do we do with God's word? How are we supposed to utilize this weapon? Well, Galatians chapter 3 verse 5 gives us an indication how we use this weapon. Galatians 3 5 says this, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? If I, if I had my pen out, I would just underline that phrase, hearing with faith. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How do you put to death the deeds of the flesh? You do so by hearing and believing the word of God. By hearing with faith the word of promise and trusting it. Trusting that the promise of God's word is superior to the temptations of your flesh. Waging war against the deeds of the flesh must involve trusting in the word of God. The promises of God's word are more desirable than the promises of your former self, your nagging sin, your flesh. We see the author of Hebrews in chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, take this, trusting in God's word, and actually give us an example of, uh, basically for us to follow. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 says this, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. So, in directing us away from giving ourselves over to a love of money, how do we resist the temptation that, quite frankly, every one of us faces every single day to love money, to do whatever it takes to get more money, to once we get it, to hoard it and to keep it and not use it and give it? It's a temptation every one of us faces. How do we resist that temptation? Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said. It's a wonderful phrase. Underline that phrase. For he has said. God has spoken. His word declares. What does his word declare? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He has said the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. The author of Hebrews is telling us what the Word of God says. And if you believe this promise, you will resist the temptation to love money, which is the root of all kinds of evil. If you take God for his Word, if you hear it and by faith trust it, you won't love money. Instead, you will see that you have been given God himself and he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. All you have, you, all you need, you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So then we, we resist the urge to love money. We don't spend our time being consumed with dreaming and longing for more. You are already rich beyond measure. We'll never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is my helper. Zero reason to fear. We see Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 do this exact same thing when he meets temptation by Satan. Satan tempts him and time and time again. How does Jesus respond? He 
speaks God's word, which he trusts and has faith that God's promises are greater than what Satan has to offer us. If we want any, if we have any hope in waging war against our flesh, we must trust the word of God. We must trust the word of God. I was just thinking of the song that we just sang just a few moments ago. Though the tempter tries me still, I cling to your commands. That's what it looks like to wage war. Next thing is we must guard our mind. Guard our mind. If I allow my mind to rest on the thoughts or the desires of my flesh, I am bound to give in to those desires. And many of us know this. Um, this is a, a principle that many of us, unfortunately, have, have seen played out in our lives or the lives of those around us. If we allow our minds to rest on the things that we have no business thinking about, no business doing, no business wanting, if our mind rests there, then we are likely to give in to those desires. If my imagination remains unchecked, so will my sin. If my imagination remains unchecked, so will my sin. So we must actively guard our mind. This becomes especially challenging in our day and age. We just, family and I just took a vacation out west to some of the national parks, Grand Tetons and Yellowstone. And uh, as you drive through some of those parks, you just see it is like a hiker's paradise, right? One trailhead sign after another. I don't do a lot of hiking, but just as you drive through the park, there is just endless opportunities to wander off into a trail and get totally lost in the wilderness. I think the same thing is true for us in our current day of social media and constant, just constant attention towards Media and movies and Netflix and games and you name it, constantly. Our imaginations are constantly triggered and tempted into sin. It is an endless, there are endless opportunities to drift down these trails that ultimately lead to destruction. As we were driving on our trip, uh, we were at a town, stopped for gas, and I was getting back onto the interstate. We were making a left turn in a, in a turning lane, a left turn across traffic to get back onto the interstate. And being unfamiliar with this town, I didn't realize that when the light turned green, the, the oncoming traffic's light turned green as well. And so I had to just wait, had to yield, okay? So I didn't realize that. I was just distracted or whatever and just began to drive out into oncoming traffic. Um, putting, you know, passenger side, my wife and beautiful daughter's lives in great harm's way. So as I was crossing, I began to see an 18-wheeler heading directly at our vehicle, realizing that I needed to yield and I hadn't done so. So in response to harm coming at us, my response was simply accelerate as fast as possible and get out of harm's way. The only way out was for me to put my foot on the gas and accelerate out of the way. Folks, I think that whenever we see sin emerging, rearing its ugly head in the dark places of our life or a particular temptation that is coming into view, the last thing we can do is think about it. Rather, we need to put the foot on the gas and drive our minds directly and quickly to Christ. And don't think about it. 
Don't even think about it. Go directly to Christ. We see in Romans 8 verse 5, it says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who have just given in to the temptations of the flesh, that's what their thoughts are consumed with. But those of us who are in Christ, those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Well, what in the world does that mean? What does that look like? Luckily, Paul tells us very clearly in Philippians chapter 4 exactly what that looks like. Where he says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So as we see... As we see temptation and sin calling for our attention, our mind is to go directly to Christ and the wonderful things that he has done for us. The life that he has made for us. If we have any hope of living the life that is promised to us in Romans 8, we must learn to fill our minds with the glorious truths of Scripture. So a simple question to ask yourself this morning to see if, if you stand a chance, how you fare in waging war against your flesh. A question for me to ask you would be, what is your relationship like with this book? What does your, this is a daily battle, mind you, right? And so if God has given us the sword of the Spirit, His Word, the very Word of God, do we equip ourselves, remind ourselves, immerse ourselves in this book every single day? If you don't, Odds are you will fall daily to the temptation of your flesh. A soldier preparing for the most important battle of life every single day. That's what it should look like, the relationship between us and this book. So we trust God's word. We guard our mind. And then thirdly, we surround our life with the people of God. We surround our life with the people of God. The, the first two are more directly, more obviously connected to verse 13. But if we were to keep reading in the text, which I'm going to do just here quickly, I'm going to read verses 14 through 17, you will see, just pay attention to the language that is used. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Folks, this battle that we are engaged in, we were never intended to fight it alone. This is not an individualistic activity that God has called us to or that Paul is exhorting us to. Rather, he has placed each one of us, right here you see it in the text, he has placed each one of us in a family. We are sons and daughters of the heavenly Father. 
God gives us all of himself, but he doesn't stop there. He also gives, him, gives us a family filled with brothers and sisters. What an amazing gift this is. The, the war that we are fighting daily is intense. It's a matter of life and death. But God in his grace not only resources us with his spirit, he also places us in an environment with others who are fighting the same fight along with us. A family, brothers and sisters fighting the same enemy, wrestling with the same temptations and sin. And, and we do so with the exact same resources. Over and over, if you read through the New Testament, we read about what this life together looks like. And the phrase that comes up over and over and over again is one another. Some 59 times in the Bible, we, in the New Testament, we, we learn what this life together looks like. That we love one another, that we encourage one another, that we confess our sins to one another. That we forgive one another, we pray for one another, we accept and welcome and greet one another. Over and over and over again, we are called to live the life that God has called us to. We are called to live it together in the context of a beloved community, community of Christ. Consider just for a moment a time in your life when your guard was down. Secretly, you gave in to sin. You were not trusting God's word. You were not protecting your mind. And odds are, you were alone. Secretly, you gave in to sin. Well, Satan seizes the opportunity. Quietly reminds you of your failure. He knows. He saw it. In fact, he had his hand in it. He was there. But don't worry, he promises. We'll just keep it between you and me. It'll be our little secret, he says. See, Satan knows the guilt and the shame you feel. But he isn't satisfied with that. He also wants you to fear what others might think. He is aware of forgiveness and grace that is available in Christ. He knows the critical role that the family of God plays in confessing sins to one another and, and speaking this gospel to one another. That is why he tries so hard to convince us nobody can know. If they find out, what are they gonna think of you? What are they gonna say about you? Keep it to yourself. Sinclair Ferguson, his book Devoted to God, a book that we're um, kind of walking through using this as sort of a platform for our, our sermons, um, has a, a really helpful quote as we consider the, the utility of God's people in the, in the persevering nature, the, the work that we have to do in killing our sin. He says this, under these circumstances, we may find ourselves incapable of breaking the dark stranglehold sin and Satan now have on our lives. But if we are able to share our failure, our sense of guilt and bondage with a fellow Christian whom we can trust absolutely and to whom we can open our heart, then we can break the power of Satan's lies. The truth is ours in the presence of God. We are able to pray together honestly and forgiveness once again flows into our hearts. 
Yes, there may be shame and sorrow and tears, but there is also pardon, forgiveness, a new beginning, and the blessing of stronger bonds of fellowship. Folks, if we want to have any success as we wage war against our flesh, we must fight the war together. If you ever to go to the west coast and see the coastal redwoods, just massive, massive trees, amazing specimens just of God's handiwork in creation. What's so fascinating about these trees is that you would think that for as tall as they get, you would think that their, their root system must go just as far down into the ground. But as you walk the terrain, you see the roots poking up over the ground. And actually, the roots only go about five or six feet below the earth. But they do spread out wide, some hundred feet from the trunk. But what makes them such interesting trees is that they grow in these groves. And as their roots spread out wide across the surface of the earth, they begin to intertwine and tangle with each other, allowing them to be stable when, when winds blow and the floods come up and the rains come down. That they can stand strong because their root system is entangled with each other. Folks, that's a picture of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. He places us in these beautiful groves, these contexts of community where, where we are, our lives are to be intertangled with each other, intertwined with one another, so that we can support, we can carry, we can, we can love one another through life. Now, for many of us, this is difficult. The, the idea of, of being vulnerable, opening ourselves, is not something that is appealing takes time. Some of us, it's not maybe consistent with our personality. Maybe we're a little more introverted and it's just hard for us to get into these intimate settings with other believers to open up our lives. Some of us, there's just so much to do. There's work to be done. There's time with family. There's time with school. And in this town, it's especially hard because people are constantly moving, constantly moving in and out here for a year or two and then poof, away they go. It just takes so much energy. And I get it. I get it. Romans 8.13 reminds us that while you think you can't afford to open your lives up and let other people in, Romans 8.13 tells us you can't afford not to do it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I think just as Pastor Dave mentioned earlier, in this time of our unique time of our world, the history of our world, this COVID-19, when, when we're struggling in isolation and anxiety and depression, depression is going off of the charts, how much more do we need to commit to doing life together? to living in community, to supporting and loving, encouraging, confessing our sins to one another, praying for one another. How much more important is it now that we do this? Our lives, our very lives hang in the balance. So Parkview, I just want to give you one quick assignment this week. Okay, just one quick assignment in closing. I want you to consider one person just in our church. One person in our church, 
Maybe somebody you haven't talked to in a while. Maybe somebody that you know is maybe alone or is struggling. Maybe somebody that's in your community group. Somebody that you have known historically throughout the years. I want you to identify one person in this church. And I want you to be proactive because here's the deal. Not just do we for our own lives, need to be in the context of community to live this out. We also need to be proactively seeking out other people that we can care for actively. And so this week, I want to ask you to just reach out to one person in this church. Just reach out to one person. Make a phone call, an email, something, some sort of connection with one person just to, just to see how they're doing. Ask how you can pray for them, to check in with them, to care for them, to love them, Folks, this is what it looks like to wage war on our flesh. We trust the promises of God. We fill our mind day after day with the truth of those promises. And we surround ourselves with people who are trying to do the exact same thing. I mean, this should bring great comfort to us. If you're there this morning thinking of the sin of the flesh, the, the thing that is constantly rearing its head in your life, here's the deal, guys. We're not alone. Every single one of us has the exact same, but it might look a little different. Some of the, the particular temptations and sins that we wrestle with, they may be different from one person to the other, but everyone's engaged in the exact same battle. But the other wonderful news that Romans 8 tells us over and over again is that God resources us as the church to wage war against our flesh. And the promise, the promise is that when you do that, the end of verse 13, you will live. You will live. This is an invitation, not just to battle. It's an invitation to true life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you just for your word in Romans 8 this morning. Thank you for the reminder, Lord, of all the many ways that you have blessed us and all that you have done for us, Lord, as we just contemplate the good news of the gospel, Lord, we see ourselves as blessed, richly blessed. Lord, we confess that we are people who oftentimes um, try to go at it alone. That we neglect not just the spirit that you have put inside of us, but we neglect the community, the environment that you have placed us. And so, Lord, as we um, seek to live lives that are wholly devoted to you, Lord, I pray that you would give each and every one of us the grace to do what your word has called us to do, Lord, that you would help us to, to see, to savor, to trust your word. Lord, that you would help us to recognize in our minds and in our hearts sin and temptation, that you would help us to protect our minds, that we would no longer concentrate on our flesh, but that we would think the many ways that we have been blessed in Christ. Lord, and I pray that you would help us to live our lives together as the people of God as we wage war against our flesh. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.